Let's uh, take our hearts to the Lord. Uh, Father, once again, we just say thank you for uh, meeting with us. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, O oh God. And, and it's our heart's desire to uh, want to know you and learn of you, to be changed by you, Lord, to be made more like you. And so we say, Lord, wash us in the waters, the cleansing flow of your word today. And uh, God, have your way, be glorified here, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. And we all say... Amen. Listen, a common struggle that believers can wrestle with is that of assurance. And we've touched on this topic along the way. People will at times wonder what kind of compromise they can get away with and still make it to heaven. But you need to understand that that is a very dangerous, at best, road to travel down. My mentality should not be one of seeking how much sin I can entertain and still be safe, but rather how close to Christ can I draw in this world, in this life. Guys, I can offer no assurance to the individual who is constantly looking to engage, to entertain some type of sin. However, I can offer assurance on the authority of Scripture to the one who is consistently drawing near to the Lord, uh, abiding in the Lord. Therein lies the safety zone. Let's look. You're in John chapter 15. Let's look at the words of Jesus right here beginning in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And he who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing." And if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now look at verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you that my joy re might remain in you and that your joy may be full. We'll stop right there. You see, Jesus says that if we abide in him, the word abide, when you see the word abide, just think live, okay? If we live in him and his word lives in us, how many of you know that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to the division of the, the joint and the marrow and the, the thoughts and intent of the heart? So if you live in me, Jesus said, and my word is alive in you, there will be fruit. There will be, that is, manifest evidence that comes of it. And John, we're back in 1 John now, and he has spent significant time informing us of different ways by which we can know 
that we're saved, that we're children of God. He's spoken of what it means to walk in the light as he is in the light. He's spoken of the evidence of a righteous life, of rendering obedience to the word of God. He's spoken of the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirit. He's spoken of our love for the body of Christ. Listen to me. God does not want you as his child to wrestle with uncertainty. He wants you confident in his promise to you personally and aware of how that spills out into your life practically so that you can rest in assurance. And today, John ties even more assurance to this principle of abiding. And so with that, let's take our attention and turn it to verse 12 in 1 John chapter 4. He writes, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. He's saying no one has seen God, but manifest evidence of God does exist. And God does reveal himself in the believer's life. Now, of course, when he says no one has seen God at any time, he's speaking, yes, of God the Father. We know that God the Son, Jesus Christ, lived and breathed and walked amongst and ministered to mankind, we read again in John's gospel that no one has seen God at any time. Uh, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has, well, the word is declared him. It means he has expounded him, explained him. He has revealed him. The brightness of his image, uh, the, the, the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Uh, Paul wrote of Jesus in the book of Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God. And when writing to Timothy of the Father, he said, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's recall that Jesus told us that God is spirit. He is intangible, he is invisible, and no one has seen God at any time. Hey, listen, no one has seen the Holy Spirit, though at times he would manifest, perhaps in the form of a dove or flames of fire, but no one has seen the Holy Spirit, and no one has seen the Father. Perhaps you recall there he was, Moses, having a conversation with God. And as you know, God says, I speak to Moses face to face, meaning uh, you know, plainly, not in mysteries, not in visions, not uh, kind of eccentric or uh, in any kind of esoteric kind of mysterious way. He says, man, I just speak like voice to voice with him. And there they are in Exodus chapter 33. And, and God is essentially angry with the children of Israel. It's uh, kind of the same story, but a different day. And he says, 
listen, um, Moses, you're going to take him into the promised land. I'll, I'll send my angel before you. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, go ahead and drive out the Jebusite and the Perizzite and the, uh, you know, all the other Hittites and whateverites, right? And he says, but I'm not going to go because I'm going to get angry with the stiff-necked people. I'm going to consume them all. And Moses begins to speak with him and says, oh God, how is it then that people will know that we are unique upon the face of the earth? How is it that... People will know that we belong to you and are set apart uh, as unto you unless you are in our very midst. If you don't go, God, God, if you don't go with us, then I don't want to go. Wow. And so God begins to say, well, you know what? Listen, you, you have found grace in my sight and I will go with you and I will go before you. And then Moses, in this moment of intimacy, you can almost, it's almost palpable, tangible as you read the chapter slowly. And he says, oh God, please show me your glory. And God begins to say, listen, I will make my goodness to pass before you because uh, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and, and you can see my afterglow. And then he said, but he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. Our infinite, sinful, frail and finite frame, if we were to look upon God in the fullness of his holiness, ladies and gentlemen, we just couldn't take it. Uh, It would be overwhelming. Our hearts would fail us. So, how then does God reveal himself to others today? God is invisible. Jesus is no longer on the earth. Where is the revelation, the manifestation of who he is? Well, John begins to share with us that it's in the lives of his children and how they demonstrate his love to one another. You see, the manifest evidence of God living in us, abiding in us, is in our love for one another. Remember verse 7 of this chapter? God, or love, or agape is of God. And verse 8, God is love. Therefore, the greatest evidence of God's presence in us, His work among us, is the self-sacrificing, others-oriented, serving one another love. First, God's love is experienced in us. Listen to me. Then his love is expressed through us. Guys, it's important that we get this right. Because if not, we're liable to drift in any number of unfruitful directions. You know, some people think that the greatest evidence of of God being at work is, whether it be somewhere or in someone, is power. And so they're drawn to the miracles and the manifestations. Uh, Others think perhaps it's passion. And so they're in this situation, this environment where people are always being pumped up and, you know, emotions are running high. Some think it's found in popularity or big crowds. But guys, think this through. There were times when Jesus would move in great power. Then there were other times where he really did nothing that invoked power at all. He would allow himself to be rejected and removed altogether. There were times when people were incredibly passionate about being around him. Other times he didn't inspire passion at all. 
Sometimes Jesus was incredibly popular. Other times, he wasn't popular at all. In fact, people would walk away from him. However, there was never a time when Jesus lacked in or moved apart from love. Wherever Jesus was moving, whatever Jesus was doing, love was constant. The unyielding, unwavering evidence of God's presence and work is love. Galatians 5. Yes, but the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit is power. Is that what it says? Uh, But the fruit of the Spirit is popularity. Is that what it says? Big crowds, you see. The fruit of the Spirit is raw passion. Is that what it said? You can throw it back up there. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Come on, somebody. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And of course, this is where we segue, right, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a chapter that may as well be entitled, Love is Everything. It doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter how noble it may be, how spiritual it seems, if it's lacking love, it profits me nothing. Now, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, isn't arrogant, isn't proud, doesn't behave rudely, doesn't seek its own, love is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not Rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never fails. And so, abide. These three, yes, faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been Perfected in us. Now this word perfected, guys, don't be misled. It doesn't mean perfect in the, in the sense that we would typically apply this word as though you are gonna now walk around in some sort of uh, sinless state. When you read this word perfect, think of the word mature or complete. He's saying that God's love has accomplished or completed the fullness of its purpose when you and me, when we love one another. When you grow in God's love to the point whereby rather than talk about each other or bicker and fight with one another, uh, character assassinate or put down one another. Uh, rather than uh, plant seeds of doubt or disillusionment about one another, you build up and encourage and edify one another. When you serve and sacrifice for one another, the love of God says, mission accomplished. You see what I'm saying? God's love has at that point served his purpose in your life. You have grown to love one another. The mature Christian will be marked by the abiding presence of God's love toward others. 
Now look at verse 13. He says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior, underline it, come on, of the world. Again, notice the assurance that John is giving us. By this we suppose, uh, by this we think, right? I want you guys to see what God's Word says. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. We don't guess, we don't think, we don't suppose, we don't waver in uncertainty, we know. That is, we experience the abiding, living presence of God, us living in Him, Him living in us, number one, because his love, yes, verse 12, is present in us. And number two, we read here in uh, verse 13, because he has given us of his spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, you do not want to wait until you stand before him to find out if God abides in you. You need to know now and you need to be assured now, and you can be. And if you aren't, the opportunity will be available so that you will be at the end of the service here. When you abide in him, and he abides in you, family, this is called a relationship. His love is experienced in you, and then goes to work through you, and he gives to you of his spirit. Now, the way that this line is phrased, he has given us of his spirit, it's kind of interesting. Uh, John could simply be referring to the fact that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to you. When you give your life to Christ, as you well know, God seals you with his spirit until the day of redemption. Or John could even be referencing the evidence of the gifts of the Spirit that God gives you. He has given us, more literally, out of His Spirit. That's what John says here, because He has given us out of His Spirit. Out of His Spirit, He has given you perhaps the gift of helps, or of giving, or of teaching, or administrations, on and on it goes, for the edifying and building up of the body of Christ. Or, He may be referencing the love that is drawn upon from the Spirit of God in your life. As Paul told the Romans, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He has given us out of His Spirit. We draw out of His Spirit, you see. Any and all of the above are true. Also, we know, we mentioned earlier, that God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, right? Romans chapter 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Guys, I say all that to say this. I'm wanting you to see something here, and that is the assurance that you have. 
all the evidence that God gives you so that you can be confident in your status as his child. Yes, God is invisible. But when he's at work in our lives, there's very tangible, very visible evidence. There is fruit that comes of it. And we have seen, John says, and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. A few things here. John is continuing to mount evidence of the invisible God. No one has seen God, he says, but we have seen the Son and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, the mission that Jesus was on was not simply to be a great teacher, giving insight, understanding, and application to the word of God, though he did that like none other in the history of this world. The mission of Jesus wasn't simply to be an example of what godly living looks like and how we could honor God and reach others through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, though he did that like none other in the history of mankind. His mission, the purpose of his coming is found in these words, the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to, what's the word? Save that which was lost. Ladies, gentlemen, the world did not need a teacher, though we would benefit from his teachings immeasurably. The world did not need an example, though we would and he would live in such a way that we would benefit, we would be blessed, he would inspire countless millions to strive to emulate genuine godliness. But what the world needed, ultimately, truly, was a savior. And you shall call his name Jesus, right? For he shall save his people from their sins. So God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him never perish but have everlasting life by the way I trust that you've picked up on the fact that the triunity of God is involved in your salvation you see it in verse 13 we see the work of the spirit verse 14 we see the father and the son there it is now in verse 15 whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now if you remember right, back in verse two, John mentioned the critical need to confess the humanity of Jesus. 
But do not believe every spirit, beloved, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. And every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, right? Here, we find the need to confess not the humanity, but the deity of Jesus, that he is the Son of God. Both are essential. Now this word confesses is the same word developed back in verse 2. I won't spend time rehearsing it. But here John is speaking within the context of assurance. The assurance that God lives in you is tied to your confession of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That you say the same things about Jesus as does God the Father. This word confess, it means to agree with. It means you are in agreement with God the Father with regard to who the person of God the Son is. It's not simply that you state the facts. How many of you realize you can state a fact doesn't mean you agree with it? But a confession of Jesus Christ is to say that you agree with all that you are, you see, with God. You place the fullness of your weight and your trust in who Jesus is, is fully God, fully man, the Savior of the world. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Wait, it didn't say you might be saved? If you're lucky, you could be saved? Is that what it says? You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, here's our word, confession is made unto salvation. Listen, if your faith in Christ is genuine, you'll speak up about believing in Jesus. Listen to me, what's found in the well of the heart spills out the bucket of the mouth. Jesus said this, he said, therefore whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Here's the point. There's no such thing, hear me, there's no such thing as a closet Christian. Doesn't mean that you're a preacher, but you will readily, openly confess Jesus Christ. It is manifest evidence that you are connected to, that you abide or live in God. Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Fellowship with God is found in the love of God. And John says, we, we have known, that is, again, the word is experienced, we have experienced the love that God has for us, and we have believed, that is, trusted in the love that God has for us. We have experienced God's love. We believe, we trust in God's love. Quick question. Do you 
believe? Do you trust, that is, have confidence in the love that God has for you? I need you to think it through. Maybe a, because listen, I think it's easy for, for most of us to say, yes, I know that God loves me. I trust that God loves me. But perhaps a better question would be, what would it take for you to stop believing that God loves you? Do you believe God loves you so long as things are relatively comfortable or seemingly safe for you? But if you lost your job, then lost your home, your marriage disintegrated, would you still believe that God loves you? You're stricken with an illness for which there is no cure. Are you still persuaded of the love of God? You certainly aren't feeling it. Do you still believe it? Do you still have confidence in it? What would it take? I'll give you one final section of scripture and then we'll move toward our close. Are you, uh, whoever's closing, come, come on up. But Paul came to this conclusion. He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who, what? Wait, 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 wait. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, the sword, that is, you're, you're, you're laying, you're, we're all day long we're killed, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter, but we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, there's the word, guys, such a key word. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. Come on. It is imperative. Listen to me. It is so important that you have this conviction on lock. Does that make sense? That you have come to the point in your life that there is nothing that will persuade you, that will convince you that God does not love you. For God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is love. And to abide in love is to abide in God and God in you. You see, your relationship with God is not a legal relationship based upon what you do for God. It's a loving relationship based upon what he's done for you. And the grace that he's given you. The love that he has bestowed, that he has lavished upon you in the person of his son 
who has loved you and given himself for you. God, we thank you for your love. And we thank you for the assurance that you have given us that we know you, live in you, belong to you. God, that we've been saved by you. Guys, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, we're preparing our hearts to partake together of communion, remembering the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord today. Jesus said, no greater love has anyone in this than that he lay down his life for his friends. This do as often as you do so in remembrance of me. And the love that he has for you. Maybe you don't have that assurance. You've never confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. Not really, not truly. Maybe you've gone to church, but this idea of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ to the saving of your soul has somehow eluded you. You've maybe stated facts, but have you really confessed? I encourage you to do so today. For if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Maybe right now you're lost. Hey, I got good news, friend. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. I don't know, man. I feel pretty, you know, unworthy, pretty, pretty dirty. I did not come to call the righteous, Jesus said. It's not the well who are in need of a physician, but the sick. And I haven't come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance, to turn away from your sin, to trust in him. It's not your work that makes you right with God. It's His. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Look, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, where you've been or what you've done. But if you need Christ to come into your life, to forgive you of your sin and make you new, let's do it. Right here, right now. I'm just going to ask you if this is kind of resonating in you, if your heart's uh, fluttering because you know this moment's for you, then I'm just going to ask you just to, to be bold about that. Just raise your hand. If I see your hand, I'll say so. You can put it back down. But I just want to give you a second to say, you know what? Today is a day of salvation for me. God bless you and God bless you. Who else? God bless you too. Hallelujah. All who are thirsty, all who are weak, come to the fountain and dip your heart in the stream of life. Anyone else I can pray for? Today is a day of salvation for you. I'm not talking about rededication necessarily, though that's okay. God sees your heart. Okay. Guys, I just want you to know
I told you when you first came in here, church is not a place of perfect people. We are a sinful people saved by God's grace, washed in the waters of his word, and cleansed through the flow of the fountain of his blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the hurting find their hope in Jesus Christ. And so I just want you to reach down in your heart, man, with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And just tell God who you are. Agree with him. Confess. God, I am a sinner. Just offer it up to him. And I fall short, God, of your glory. But I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Lord, that you would come into me by the power of your spirit. Overturn the tables of sin in my life, oh God, and have your way completely. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me to lead my life for you. From this day forward. For the rest of my days. And Lord, thank you for putting my name in your book of life. I'm telling you, if you have prayed something to that effect, here we are, we're praying, we're just offering our heart, our soul up to God. With the heart you're believing unto righteousness, God has heard your prayer. And the Bible is clear that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, old things pass away, behold, all things are made new. You leave here different than you came in here. Not because of anything that you did, but because of what Jesus has done for you upon the cross.